We have started the new year and we've been moving toward getting ready for our new pastor and I'm excited about that and I continue on to build upon that as we get ready to welcome him here to join us as we begin to continue to do what Christ has called us to do. And, um, you know, I have discovered in my life that everybody really wants to be part of something big and significant. You know, I've never met, I've been working with teenagers now for for 48, uh, almost 49 years here. In just a couple of months, I'll celebrate 49 years of working with teenagers. I have never yet met a teenager that said to me, you know, I just hope I can grow up and just be mediocre all my life and never accomplish anything. I love working with teenagers because they believe and they expect and may we never snuff that out. May we fan that flame that they feel and sense and may we capture it with them because I think everybody wants to be part of something significant. A great school, a great company, a great city, a great state. Or to go to some great event. I, there are some things I can tick off on my, my resume that I just, sometimes I just want to pinch myself and say, God, you let me get involved in that and, and to be there when that happened. And I'm thinking, wow, how neat. And what I want you to understand is that the church is the most significant of organizations you can be a part of because it is the Father's church. It's His gathering of people. And when we were starting to get ready for the new year, I I challenged you to just a couple of uh, New Year revelations, to get up every morning and just report for duty, and then to spend time throughout the day knowing that you're walking with the Father, that you're interacting with Jesus as you go along the way. And I challenged you to speak life to people, to the saved, encourage them to love and to good works, to the lost, share the gospel. Speak words that are positive, not speak words that are negative. And last week I continued to build on that to help you be able to make that part of your lifestyle is that if we're going to be that kind of person, we've got to be spiritually fit. Matter of fact, as I was driving down this morning, I saw a marquee on a church that said, it's hard to be spiritually fit if... And then I passed it and it was over. When I go home tomorrow, I hope it's still there. I want to see what that pastor put out at Linden. Because, you know, at 40 miles an hour, by the time I saw it, I was past the marquee. But I I challenge you to be spiritually fit by making sure that you had a, a healthy appetite. And that you had healthy attitude. And that you had healthy affections. And I want to keep building on that today and take us a step farther into that. And I want us to talk about being part of God's greatest institution that He's ever put on the face of this earth. The church. The church. And I want you to go to Matthew. 
Go to Matthew with me. To Matthew chapter 16. And I want to lay the foundation for this in, in helping you understand what the church is. For some of you, for the majority of you, I'm going to remind you. But for some of you, I may be giving you new information. But in Matthew chapter 16, we're going to pick it up in verse 13. We're going to talk about the church. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. And it says this. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Well, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And others, Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. Jesus said to them, But who do you say that I am? Pause. That's a question we all will have to answer someday. If not now, later for sure. As you stand before him. Who do you say he is? And and look what Simon Peter said. And Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ. Which translates, You are the Messiah. You are the promised one. You are the one, the Father. And all of these prophets have been telling us about. You are the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him and said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father is in heaven. And I want to let you know, every time you come to that point and you begin to understand that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, it's not me or anybody else that's taught you that. It is the Spirit of God that has spoken to you. Listen clearly when the Spirit speaks. Even if you're a non-believer, he will speak to you and point you to Jesus, the Messiah. And then some powerful words are spoken by Jesus. And he said in verse 18, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, your profession that Christ is the Messiah, I will build my church. That's not my job. That's not your job. He will build His church. Now He works through us and He has given us responsibilities and He's given us an assignment, but He will do it. What a joy to see the testimony of believers' baptism. What a joy I had to be with Danielle when back there in the prayer room, I heard her pray that prayer. I didn't save her. Jesus did. I just happened to be a vessel through which the Holy Spirit worked. And it's real, isn't it, Dan? Look at the smile. Look at the smile. Yes, it's real. It's real. Jesus did that. And Jesus continues to build His church. It is His institution. But the verse doesn't end there. There is some really good news that goes on. And He said, And the gates of hell shall not prevail 
against it. Are gates offensive weapons or defensive weapons? Defensive. You know, in any battle scene I've ever seen, I've never seen anybody grab a gate and go, Rah, I'm going to get you. <laughs> never have I seen a person holding a gate and charging after somebody. Guns, bows and arrows, spears, rockets, whatever. But never a gate because gates, as you have quickly and correctly said, are defensive. Think about what that says. And Jesus said, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against my church. The devil knows that. and He's working to try to keep people from becoming part of the church of the Father. Because he knows when you do that, end of story. The war is won in your life. The church, the great institution that brings glory to the Father and brings people into His body of faith. And this morning what I want to do is build on, build on that foundation to help you understand the reason I gave you those three New Year revelations and the reason I talk to you about being spiritually fit is because I want you to be part of not just the church, but I want you to be part of a great church. And if we will allow Christ to do in us and through us, He will produce that. And I want us to go to Acts. And I want to look at six characteristics of a great church. Go to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. And while you're turning there, let me say this to you. The church will never be stronger than the weakest member of that local body. Think about that. The church will never be stronger than the weakest member of that body. And that's why it behooves us to take this seriously. <laughs> because I think you want to be part of a great church. I've had the privilege of at least two churches that I've had the privilege of being a part of. One of them, my home church, and later I served on the staff of my home church in another church in, a, in another state. And I mean, just really great. I mean... There is no explanation for some of the things that happened in either one of those churches except God did it. And you would just get up every morning to see what new was going to happen because things were happening not just on Sunday morning at the worship hour or hours because they were growing so fast multiple services were necessary. It was happening all during the week and people were reporting what God was doing out and about similar to what we're going to see here in the first century, the church at Jerusalem. Acts chapter 4. Go to verse 32. Now Jesus has died, 
He's been buried. He's been raised. He's spent time with the disciples. He's ascended into heaven. The Holy Spirit has come and empowered the church and the disciples. And look what it says in verse 32. Now the full number of all those who had believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. Sidelight. That was never a command of the Father to do. That is what they decided to do because they were so together that they wanted to make sure that everybody was taken care of. And it started before that verse and it continued on after that verse. In verse 33, And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them. Two characteristics just listed there. Pretty obvious, the word great goes before them. Characteristics of a great member of a great church is that there is great power in your life. Here's the good news. The power comes from God, not you. God gave them His power through the Holy Spirit and the power was used not to make them stand out, but in order to testify about what Christ was doing and who Christ was. It was a power to share the gospel message. And that's why some of us are not filled with power because we're not ready to go out and operate in that power to share. And that inhibits us. God's not going to give us what we're not going to use for His glory. But when he finds somebody that says, I am scared to death, I don't know what to say, but I do know you told me to do it and I'm going to do it and I'm going to depend upon you to do it and I'm going to depend upon you to give me the power, God says, that's good. (laughs) And things begin to happen. And there was great power to testify to what Jesus was doing in their midst of a great church. And in verse 30, uh, the end of verse 33, it goes on to say, and great grace was upon them, what? All. Not just on the pastor, not just on the apostles, not just on the deacons, it was on them all. God's riches, riches were just pouring down on them. I've told you before, grace is needed for salvation, but guess what? Grace is needed for living. Listen, you've got to get along with me if you're part of the body with me, and you're going to need grace to get along with me. Right? Yeah, yeah. Now, I see the folks who have been trying to get along with me now. <laughs> Listen, we need grace. We need His supernatural gifts to come upon us so that we can be with one another, operating in His power, living in His grace. But there's a third characteristic that we find in Acts chapter 5 where He keeps going on with it. And go down to verse 11. It says, and great fear 
came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Not only was there great power and great grace, but there was great fear. And here's what happened. You know the story. Matter of fact, if you go on and you read where I just stopped reading in in chapter 4, Barnabas uh, went and sold some property and he gave, and all the money that he gave from selling the property, he came and he laid it down at the apostles' feet and he said, I want to give this to the church so that the church can continue to function. And in the beginning of chapter 5, verse 1, it says, but there was a guy named Ananias and his wife Sapphira. And they thought, wow, I just saw what Barnabas did. So they went and sold a piece of property, and they went and laid part of it at the apostles' feet. Giving the testimony that it's all of it. How do I know that? Look what it says. In verse 1, they sold a piece of property and with his wife's knowledge he kept back from himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? When it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, it was not was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart that you have lied not to man, but to God? He was saying, listen, you didn't have to give it, but you gave it with the attitude and giving the false feeling that this was all of it said, listen, all you had to do was say, here, this is the gift I want to give, but we're going to keep some of it because we have needs. They're doing it fine. But he tried to be something he wasn't. Just like that, God struck him down. And later, three hours later, his wife comes in and and Peter asks her the same question. Hey, did you sell the price, the piece of property for this price and then give it all to the church? Oh, yeah, 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 that's it. And he said, listen, why have you contrived to do this? And the people who just went and buried your husband, they're back to get you now. Boom, she was dead. And that's where the fear, the great fear came. Not that they were going to be struck down by God. But I think the church became fearful. A holy, reverent fear toward God to say, listen, we now understand You are God. And you watch what we do. You watch what we say. And you examine us on a daily, regular basis. Whether or not we are being the people we say we are or not. It had nothing to do with the amount of money they gave. It's that they appeared to give it all. They tried to give that impression while they were holding some back. It had nothing to do with the money. It had to do with their heart. And folks, this is what scares me. I meet believers who literally don't believe that God cares about every asset 
of their life. I said that very slowly because I wanted to sink in. He is not a guy in heaven that's trying to snuff out her fun. He is the heavenly Father through the power of the Holy Spirit that says, I want you to be people of integrity. I want you to be who you say you are and I want you to be transformed by me to be who you need to become. And if you'll have a reverent fear for me, not I'm afraid you're going to just blot me out any second, but Father, I care enough about you that I don't want to do anything that's inappropriate. I want to be the person you want me to be. And there is a great reverence toward the Father as we live every day of our life. I love this passage of Scripture because it shows the church wasn't perfect. Reminds me of Oliver Cromwell, the great leader of England, as all great leaders in all great countries, they have this habit of painting portraits of leaders. Uh, We've got them hanging in our Baptist building even. We take photographs of people who have been executive directors and things. It's just strange. It's just cultural the way we, we do things like that. And the story is told that once when when Cromwell's portrait had been painted and there was they'd gathered all the people together and they were going to unveil it. And they had one of the best artists of the day paint his portrait. And the artist with great pride reached at the time when the trumpet sounded and he removed the covering from the portrait. And there was this beautiful portrait of Oliver Cromwell. And he looked at it, he studied it, and he turned to the artist and he didn't say thank you. He said, Paint it again. Now that's rude. Except he said, paint it again. Warts and all. Oliver Cromwell was not what you would call uh, Mr. Sexy of whatever year he was alive at that point. (laughs) He he was not a good looking dude. He had warts and things like that. And he said, don't paint a portrait of something that's not accurate. He said, I'm not real pretty, and I have warts. I am your leader. Paint the portrait that way. May we not run from our problems. None of us are perfect, including your interim pastor. Far from it. But may we make progress every day by His great power and His great grace and with our great reverent fear of Him to let Him transform us and take away some of our warts, but when the warts are there, let's deal with them. Let's deal with them just like they dealt with them in the book of Acts. And as a result, they reverence the Lord. But we go on over to chapter 8. Chapter 8 in Acts, verse 1. Now by this time, uh, the, uh, I love the deacons who were called together and they were appointed to serve the people and the wait on tables. 
but they understood what life was about and they were out sharing the gospel all the time too. They were waiting on the tables like they were charged by the church to do, but they were also sharing their faith. As a matter of fact, Stephen became the first martyr because when he was sharing the faith, it ticked some people off and so they stoned him to death. And, and if you look at verse 1 of chapter 8 and it says, and, God, and Saul approved of his execution and there arose on that day great persecution against the church in Jerusalem and they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles and devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house and he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Another characteristic of a great church is that they will face great persecution because they are doing what God calls them to do and that will be to put you in opposition with the world. If your best friends are the world and all of its things, according to God's word, you're not following Christ. You can't be friends with the world. Matter of fact, he says if you're friends with the world, you're enemies with the Father. And if we're really living a life that's different, we will make some people upset. Not upset because we have done things for the purpose of upsetting them, but we have presented them truth when they're not living truth, and that creates problems. Because they don't want people pointing out the truth when they're enjoying living in sin. And I can testify to that very clearly, both as a person who has been engaged in sin, as well as a person who has taken the truth to someone who is sinning. And great persecution came. Now you and I are not facing great persecution now, but it's on the horizon. And there are places all over this world today, the majority of the world, where great persecution is attacking the church. And guess what? That's where the church is the strongest of any place on the face of the earth. The American church is weak. Where persecution is great, the church is strong. It's amazing. It's amazing. But great persecution should be part of a great church. This one church that I was a member of that I'm telling you about was great. There were death threats on my pastor. By other Christians. I'll say Christians. I don't know. And our church said, Pastor, you need a bodyguard. He said, not on your life. He said, God is my bodyguard. By the way, he's still alive. Similar to Plato. Once Plato was working in the community and one of his disciples came to him and said, Plato... They're starting all sorts of nasty rumors about you out in the community and we need to go out there and we need to address that and we need to tell people, hey, this is not true about Mr. Plato. And he said, nope, not going to happen. 
And he said, but sir, there are false rumors. And he turned to his disciple and he said this, I will live in such a way that men will know that the rumor is a lie. And that's how you handle persecution. I hope persecution comes on this body of believers. You may want to fire me now. You got a pastor on the way and you can. But I'm praying persecution will come on this church because we are standing for the right. We are living transformed lives. We are seeing and watching God do things that only God can do. That would thrill my heart. Because that is a characteristic of a great church. But if you go on and read and, and that, and when you get to, to verse 8 of that same chapter of 8, it says there was much joy in that city. The translation I originally was looking at and reading in this says that there was great joy in the city. And the reason there was such great joy in the city was because in the midst of this great persecution, the gospel story was being shared in all sorts of places. It had moved beyond the Jews. It had gone to the Samaritans. It was even making its headway into the Gentile population. And absolutely, folks were just overjoyed. There is great joy in a great church. And I love how we erupted when Danielle came up out of the baptismal waters. But may it not just be a quick hallelujah at that point, but may we go and continue to share the Word and so that there is great joy. I remember when I got saved, nobody told me I shouldn't go running down the church aisle telling somebody I got saved. My mother was the organist of the church and I got saved during the Sunday school hour and she was already at the organ playing the prelude and I came in the back door and ran down the side of the church screaming all the way as loud as I could, Mama, I got saved! I got saved this morning! And no one told me I shouldn't do that. And I'm glad because they would have been wrong. That was the right thing to do. And when I walked down the aisle at the end of the preacher's message and, and the invitation said, I want to let you know I've been saved. Everybody goes, oh really? Didn't know that it happened. You just disrupted the whole church. Because they were doing exactly what you were doing earlier. They were talking and visiting and I came in and I messed the whole thing up. Yelling and screaming that I'd gotten saved. And I couldn't wait till the next day when I got out of school and I went over to watch my, my friend David. And I said, David, I've got to tell you what's happened to me. I'm nine years old. I don't know anything about how to share the gospel story. Nobody's taught me. I just told him what happened to me. And he said, I've been thinking about that as well. You think I could do it? And I said, yeah, I think he can. Here's what happened to me. And he prayed, I prayed. He's a believer. You know? Man, there was great joy in that church. And I want not only the great persecution, but I want the great power and the great grace and the great fear of God to prepare us for the great persecution so that we can get together every time we gather to express great joy. Let me tell you what Jesus did at work today. Let me tell you what Jesus did at school today. Let me tell you what 
God's doing in my neighborhood today. Let me tell you what's happening to my best friend. I went over and just told him what is happening in my life. And, and joy just begins to erupt everywhere that you go. Everywhere that you go. One last characteristic. Go to Acts chapter 11. And the gospel is continuing to be spread. And look in Acts chapter 11 verse 19. And those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists or to the Greeks and also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was on them and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the church. That's the best part of a great church. People were being added to the church all the time. What we have experienced this morning should be not an occasional thing, but a regular thing. And the two churches that I mentioned to you that God has given me the privilege of being part of, we never drained the baptistry. Ever. Because we were using it all the time. This one church I was at for almost four years. And we had either two or three services on Sunday morning, depending on where you were in the history of the growth. And on Wednesday night we had a full-fledged service. So at least four full-fledged worship services every week. And there were three worship services in those nearly four years where we didn't baptize at least one or more people. Every time, not every day, not every Sunday, I mean every service. Now, it was a big city. And so I'm not saying that is a formula for you. You've got 9,000 people here in this city. Not counting the ones that live in the surrounding countryside and the smaller towns around us. Will we be satisfied with occasionally seeing someone profess Christ and someone occasionally following in the Lord's baptism? I mean, there was a, an anticipation. I want to get to church because I want to see who's being baptized this week. And one of the great events I got to be in, on one time we had a candlelight service on, on Christmas Eve that we baptized 100 people that night alone. We always baptized them on Christmas Eve as well as every Sunday, every Wednesday. But on that one particular, that was one of those special. I've never seen that many people. You know what? When we finished, we had 
a large enough baptistry, there were three ministers in the baptistry at the same time, and we would just take turns baptizing. I got out of the baptistry that night. I was tired. I don't know how many I dunked that night. I wasn't keeping track. But I mean the joy that was there because of the great numbers. Now here's the key to it. Some of you are picking up the numbers and counting them. And that's not the point of the story. It's not counting numbers. It's making the numbers count. Because those people went into discipleship classes and they began to be part of small groups. And they began to grow in Jesus Christ. And the church was growing. And the groups were growing. Because the people were taking it serious, their walk with Christ. That can happen here. No, you're not going to baptize a hundred this Christmas Eve. Probably. But maybe you can. Maybe you can. Because see, it's not you, it's God. With you being in the position where His great power comes working through you. Because you're living a great grace to get out with folks. And you have a great fear that Father, you want to honor Him and not disappoint Him in any way. And great persecution when it comes. You know how to handle it. Just live for Christ. Just live for Christ. And the great joy will come and the great numbers will come in proportion to what the Father wants to do. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I want to ask you some questions. Do you have that great power? Do you want to go share the gospel story? Do you know a lost friend that you need to share with? Do you have the great grace to live for Christ? You say, I really want to get up. I really want to report for duty. I really want to walk with Christ. I really want to live for Him. And I want to do it in such a way that I am living right for Him. I, I reverence God enough that I don't want to do anything that will embarrass Him. I honor Him and I love Him. I fear Him reverently. And I want to live the way He wants me to live. And I'll be bold in persecution. I'm ready to be bold in persecution. And being bold is not flaunting it. It's just simply living the truth and speaking the truth when the opposition says, I, I don't believe in that. That's okay. I do. It's changed my life. And are you at the point where you really want to experience a great joy because of great numbers are not just being saved, but great numbers are being saved, are being baptized, they're being discipled, and they're going out into this surrounding area to share the good news. They're part.
part of that. While the instruments play, I want you to deal with those questions. Where are you? Where are you?